This is the Business's Mission Podcast. Business's Mission. I'm Gaya Boyd, your host. I came across the very uncomfortable awareness that all of my ideas, my basic understanding of Christianity, of how it operates, of my role in it, were wrong. In this podcast series, we want to discover kingdom keys for business. I'll do that together with Bill Job. Bill is an experienced BAM practitioner. By the way, BAM is short for business as mission. Bill is from the US and lived 30 years in China, where he had handicraft factories. He saw God move tangibly in the workspace. We met at our BAM Congress in the Netherlands. Bill was one of the main speakers and he turned out to be so contagious. His stories made me curious and I wondered, does that only happen far away or can God move as tangibly here, within and through businesses in the Netherlands or at your business in Africa, America or Asia? In this podcast series, I'll interview Bill. At other times, he will be my co-host as we invited guests who are eager to see God move within their own businesses. So listen as we discuss ideas, experiences and challenges. They might be yours as well. If this podcast makes you curious and you want to dig deeper, go to bearmoves.com. There you find a hybrid training and coaching environment, which we are developing. In this episode of our podcast journey, in our mutual search for kingdom keys for business, uh, we like to get to know you a little bit better. I mean, we will, uh, this, in this episode, I will interview you. But in other episodes, we will talk together with uh, other business leaders. So um, since you are my co-host, who am I co-hosting with? <laughs> That's a great question, Gaya. I'm still trying to figure that out myself, I think. But I can give you a little bit of a background story that will help perhaps understand the journey that I've been on. It's a great pleasure to be here with you, and I have a strong desire that this will be very, very successful in explaining to many people what the BAM movement is all about, how significant it is, and the place it can have in world history and in the kingdom of God. So it's really a great honor to be here. I thank you for the invitation. Well, we're looking forward to this journey together. BAM, business as mission, you know, how can business be have an influence and how can God be in this, in our business? You have some experience, 30 years in China. Um, how, how did you get there in the first place? Well, I better take you back to when my journey with the Lord began. So I was raised in the U.S., number two of seven this, children. This, this, this. We were a family, I think, mission. pretty typical. We thought that we were Christian because we went to church a couple of times a year or maybe short streaks more often than that. But I never understood anything about an actual relationship with the Lord being possible. It was more of a uh, an attempt to try to get us to be good kids and behave well. So when this this relationship or, you know, a journey with God how did it start? I was in the U.S. Navy stationed in San Francisco, and I had a group of friends that went out drinking every night. We were quite a, a good group of buddies. We were then transferred to the San Francisco area, 
And one of these friends invited me to go to church. <laughs> I was quite shocked at the idea. And uh, I said, I'm really not interested. And when I especially found out it was a Baptist church, I thought they were the more serious type of Christians. And that was least attractive to me at the time. And then he tempted me with a potential date with one of California's junior Miss contestants. Oh, she was attending this nah, church. She was attending, <laughs> yes, yes. And so I agreed to go uh, one week and I was quite surprised by the experience because it wasn't a strange group. And this lady? I don't even remember seeing her. Oh, what a pity. We thought <laughs> there will be a whole romantic. No, okay. Didn't, that did not happen. It was, a, it was a hook that I didn't have to bite on. <laughs> so uh, after the service, I felt cared for or loved by a man named Sam Stanovic. He was a middle-aged man. I was 21 at the time. And I just couldn't shake the idea that he actually cared about me when he didn't know me from anybody else. And so I was attracted to go back when they met. And I went back Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. They had so, meetings and choir practice. So what kept you basically coming back is real love, interest, genuine uh, care? It really was. I didn't have a category for that in my thinking. And so it was so intriguing, but genuine. And after about a month, I went to the pastor and I said, Jack, you guys have something I'm missing. What is it? And he said, well, do you understand and believe what we've been saying about Jesus? Are you a Christian? I said, well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American. <laughs> and then he said wisely, what about that personal relationship part? And I said, you know, you could go over that part one more time. I'm not sure I understand that. And so he took me down what people refer to as the Roman road, those three classic passages in Romans, 323, okay. 623, and 10, 9, and 10, that explain the, the human condition and the solution to it. I accepted the Lord that night. I think it was September 18th in 1969. So following Jesus and surrendering, turning around. It, in my case, it wasn't so much that. Okay. I, I was very curious about it. I accepted the concept, but then I wanted to test it out and see if it really worked. And so I, I would say I believed it, but I didn't have a lot of confidence because I had almost no experience that it really meant anything. But about a month into this journey, I think for the first time outside of the church context, I ended up praying about something. And the issue I had on my mind was that I had heard from the pastor that there was something called God's will. And I knew I had a will too. <laughs> I had things I wanted to do. So I was trying to figure out how these two things interacted. And so that first prayer, I remember praying while I was on the military base. And that, so I, I started by saying, God, this is, you know, Bill Job. And then I gave him my address. <laughs> you know, I forgot what it was, but maybe it was like Barracks 37. So, Field. Did you get a letter? I, well, I got an answer. I don't think I got a letter. And what I explained to him was I now understood that he had a will, but I also had a desire. My desire specifically was to buy a used car. So I wanted to get a red MGB, the little convertible, and I could get for the $1,000 that I had saved up, 
1964 model, so a, a used car, significantly used actually. And I said to him, I don't know how this works. So I'm just trying to learn, trying to check it out. So if this is okay, I would love to do that. If it's not okay, that's fine too. I just don't understand how this relationship works. Shortly after that, there was a knock at my door by someone in the military in our group. And he asked me, do you want to buy my car? And I said, well, what kind do you have? And he goes, well, it's an MG. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What kind of an MG is it? Oh, it's a B-type. A wet one? A red one. And I said, okay, this is sounding familiar. And then I said, what year is it? And he said, it's a 66. Well, that was discouraging because they were selling for $2,500. And then he said, to be honest, I already bought a new car and they were going to give me $1,000 trade in. And I thought, you know, for $1,000, I'd rather sell it to somebody who wants it. So you could have it for $1,000. And three days later, I'm driving down El Camino Real in my newly purchased used red MGB, which is two years newer than I expected. I put the top down and kept it down for three oh, years yeah. solid. I want to move to California. Oh, it was great. <laughs> to have sunny weather there. Yeah. <laughs> I see you, can see you, picture you driving around. Yeah. So jumping to China, mm -hmm. how, how did you end up there? So while I was still in the Navy, I had a season when I was really, really busy because that's the way we define spiritual at that time. I wanted to be a spiritual guy. And so I interpreted that as a, I better get really busy. So I was busy every night of the week. Busy oh. with, with every week, with uh, Bible every studies, night. prayer meetings, preaching in the park, doing what we called ministry back then. And it just felt like it was energizing to really be busy. Somehow busy was good. And so our squadron got sent to the Philippines. I fought that. I wrote a letter to my congressman trying to get out of it because I felt like doing whatever God had us doing in that area, in the Bay Area, was too important. And I got a letter back saying that uh, there was no possibility of working as a chaplain's assistant, so I better go to the Philippines. So I went and walking off the airplane, when we landed, I just asked the Lord, would you show me where the believers are so I can get connected? And he said, no. So I asked again and he goes, no. And I go, well, what's going on? No. So do you, do you hear an audible no? I don't hear audible voices because he doesn't sit on my shoulder and speak in my ear. But he does live in my heart. So I would, that's a great question. Let's put other words to it. I had an impression. I had a sense that that was saying something. It was as clear as though it was a voice in my ear, but it was not a voice. Because it's like, it's an impression you got and you were kind of startled because... I was startled. I did not expect this message. I thought he wanted me to be busy doing that kind of thing. And so what I heard from him was, I have been so busy that the two of us, meaning him and me, have no time together at all. And I thought, I have no excuse. <laughs> I think he's right. I, it never occurred to me to actually spend time with him if I was doing things that I thought he wanted me to be doing. And again, that was an impression, a thought coming yeah. to your mind. It was, it was an impression, but with real clarity. I just, I, I couldn't get around it. I knew that it was what the message was that he was giving. So what did you do? You Well, I asked him, then what do you want me to do? And he said, you, me, together, 
tonight, just the two of us. Oh, it was so embarrassing. Hey, <laughs> oh, I realized when he laid out that request, I actually didn't really know how to spend time with him by myself. I had always been in a group context or like a church building context or something like that. And so I naturally looked for the chapel on this military base, but it was locked. There was a tree stump right next door. So I sat down at the tree stump and I tried to have time alone with God. Very close to the, <laughs> to the church. Yes, as close as I could get. <laughs> These faithful, you know, like uh, indicators or symbols of what to do. And so, again, it was embarrassing because I didn't really know how to freely experience him and his presence. And so my mind went to a church bulletin. Okay, I know I'm supposed to have time with God. What do I do? Oh, I just went to a church service because that was the automatic you know, thought. And I remembered, okay, well, let's welcome visitors. <laughs> you know, let's take up an offering. So we did sing you a song. <laughs> well, there was a monkey on the edge of the oh. jungle. I invited him over. <laughs> but the birds. <laughs> yes. Sort of by definition, we were supposed to be alone, just me and him. And he's invisible, which is a very significant, significant inconvenience. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And so... After I like sang a song and then I'm thinking, what do we have a sermon? What do we do? And maybe 15, 20 minutes into this, I said, hey, Lord, this is not working out very well. Can we try again tomorrow? And I felt like he said, sure, let's do this tomorrow. And so the next evening, I waited till later in the evening. It was about 10 o'clock and I found a, a football field or soccer field. And during the day, he had given me an awareness that there was a guideline for our time together, but only one simple guideline. And that was, if I spoke to him for five minutes, I needed to agree to listen for five. So it sounds like kind of a normal relationship. The best advances I found in the Christian life are simply understanding that it is a normal relationship. It happens to be with someone who's invisible. And so that has its own set of challenges. But other than that, there are many, many normal conditions that really work well in the spiritual life, but we rarely try them. So during these conversations mm. you had over a period of a several months. And so then there was this idea of China. I, I actually was able to go for four or five days to Hong Kong for an R&R. And when I returned back, it was maybe a week later during our talks. And this was for an hour or two, most every night. I heard the phrase or felt the phrase or just somehow knew the phrase that my assignment was to live in China for him. And so that's where I learned that I see a distinction between having a calling and having an assignment. And I'm sure I learned this somewhere else, but the idea was that I'm actually called to be me. I need to find out why he created me, what I'm to be doing in the world, or more importantly, in the kingdom. And then he can choose to send me to any location he wants in the world. So Clearly, my assignment was to live in China for him. So you distinguish that. I didn't, you don't talk about I'm called to China, but I was assigned. So it, that happened in 1972, which was a time when it wasn't really possible to go. 
Uh, I was reading a lot about the Cultural Revolution and the incredible turmoil that was happening at that time. And so what I did was just sort of tuck this away. Now, um, maybe two months after that, I was now out of the Navy, living in California in an apartment building. And I met a, a friend, a gentleman who became a great friend, and he invited me to his home. And in his home were uh, the leaders of one of the significant Chinese churches in the, in the U.S. out of San Francisco in Chinatown. And we developed friendship and I was invited to speak at a conference and then join the staff of that church. And so maybe two years after this, I'd finished my degree in philosophy and was looking for the next phase. They invited me to pastor for one year in what I think was the largest Chinese church in the world outside of China at that time. So that must have been kind of an confirmation. It was a kind of confirmation. I'm, I'm connecting the dots. I don't think I'm very smart, but I could see the relationship there. Uh, I had agreed to stay for one year, but I wanted to go to seminary. You know, I want to say always honoring things about people, but I, that decision did not have a good motivation. And the reason is I so respected some well-known Bible teachers in the area that when I finished my degree and asked the question, what should I do? What do I want to do? We often phrase it, what do I want to do with my life? I decided I wanted to be like them. And so I asked, well, how did they become that way? And somebody said, oh, they went to such and such a seminary. And that was a four-year degree. And I thought, oh, that's too many years. So I found a three-year version of the same school. And I went there, but really the motivation was to try to be like them when I should have asked the Lord. Lord, who am I to be? What do you want me to be? So when actually did you go? So I was uh, invited to speak at uh, the same Chinese churches, like a retreat, even though I lived 2,000 miles away in Tennessee at the time. And at this retreat, I heard the name of a city that I'd never heard before in China. It was called Xiamen. And the information about the city was that that university was allowing foreigners to come and study Mandarin and to bring their children. Now, we may not realize it now, but at that time, you couldn't bring your children if you were a student at a university learning the, man learning the language. And we thought that would be the next step. And so I heard about this on a Saturday night at a banquet of Chinese students at the University of Tennessee that they had invited me there. So I asked the Lord, Lord, is this the opening that you're talking about? You know, should I knock on this door, so to speak? And that night I asked the, one of the people that I, a new friend that I had met, because I was interested now in that city. And, and he said, well, I'm from Fujian province. And I go, oh, I'm kind of interested in Fujian. Oh yeah. We lived in the city called Xiamen. I go, oh, well, actually that's, that's what I'm interested in knowing more about. And Then he said, yeah, my dad works at the university. And I said, oh, really? That's what I'm interested in. I wonder if your father could help me find out, could I go there and study Mandarin? Is it true that I could bring my children? And so he said, well, let me call him tomorrow and I'll let you know. So he called me back on Sunday. And it's important to know that at that time, there was maybe 200 telephones in the city. But he was the dean at the university, so he had one of them. It was an unusual Phones were not common at the time. So he called me back saying, 
he didn't know much about it, but he'd be glad to try to help you. So I got in my car that night and drove to D.C. to the Chinese consulate when it opened on Monday morning. And I applied for a visa and I had it by noon. And then I went and got a ticket and I went through a friend to help me kind of get a hotel stuff and worked out. And so I landed there uh, Friday of that. So did you go by yourself? I just went by myself as an exploratory trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when did you, as by that time, did you have a family by that time? I had a wife and two wonderful kids. They were five and seven at that time. So they were five and seven going to China. Well, that we was just, quite an adventure as a family. So uh, that's right. What did your, your partner say about this? Well, I, I met my wife on a Tuesday night and we spoke about spiritual things. She was not yet really a, a believer in that personal sense. And uh, I did tell her I was going to go to China. And then I, we went out on Friday night and she accepted the Lord Saturday morning. And we talked about getting married and going to China. And now we've so you already <laughs> talked about it when at I your very first uh, date. Right. So that uh, helped prepare the, the path. One of the wisest things I'd ever done. <laughs> <laughs> so when I suggested that we look at this, she said, well, you told me fair and square early on. We've been waiting all this time. If it's the time, let's go. So you arrived in China as a missionary or as a working at the... Um, what kind of work were you supposed to do when you well, came there? That that's kind of a loaded word. Let me see if I can describe it in a way that is a bit more accurate. So I went there with a sense of assignment from the Lord to go there. And so, of course, my mind went to that kind of identity. Uh, but I didn't want to teach English, which was what most of them were doing. So I thought, why don't I get two years of language work and then I can get a job with an American company in China that would like someone on their staff who understood both cultures or was learning the Chinese culture and language. So you were kind of expecting maybe to set up a church or what? what Not really. You didn't have any? No plans. No plans. Yeah. None of that was clear. The first is just more of a step by step. Let's let's get the language and then let's get a job. So my mind was going toward a job. And then an interesting thing happened. The laws changed maybe two months after we arrived, or at least we became aware of it. And now they allowed foreigners like myself to have their own business. Before that, they were always joint ventures and they were very, very challenging and not very successful. And so I prayed about it and I thought, Lord, could we do a business? And my sense was, he said, yeah, if that's what you want to do, let's do that. We can. So I put in an application. They said it would take a year and a half to get the application approved, which I thought was great because we weren't ready. We had no money, no market, no real sense of what we were going to do. And I thought, well, the longer, the better, better to prepare. But then the license came back in 30 days and it was already approved. So did you ever have uh, business ideas before or any any tuck towards towards entrepreneurship? I had. Because, I mean, yeah. you set up, I think, eight different businesses over the period of 30 years. So, mm -hmm. Well, my experience prior to going to China was that I had decided pastoring really wasn't anything I was good at. It takes more administrative skills than I have. And so I asked the Lord, could I just return to my hometown and set up a a business of some kind 
and do a community Bible study. And we did that and it eventually involved over a thousand people. And I think was the best way for me to make a contribution for the into the kingdom at that time. And I set up a woodworking shop and I went to a local waterbed distributor and I said, would you be interested in getting that waterbed frame made out of pine, made out of cherry or oak instead for the same price? And he said, absolutely. So then I went and found out how to do it. And so I started a little woodworking company. So there was some talent there, you know, seeing opportunities. I think one of the distinguishing factors of people in the business realm are their um, acceptance of risk. And I think there are some of us, a minority, who seem to really enjoy risk. And the majority of wise people want to avoid risk. <laughs> you, bo you need both, right? You need to both. Keep, They make a great a, pair. Kind of a healthy society. That's right. That's right. So I'm probably in the category of the one who that likes kind to of accept. sounds like it. Yeah. So here you set up a, a business. What was the desire to start this business? I think the best way to say that my desire was to live another day, just to take another step. We had no long-term plans, really. Seizing the opportunity was the desire. And so what happened is uh, for $10,000, we could get a business license. I spoke with a friend in, in Tennessee who had a little extra money. He had the $10,000. And uh, we We didn't have any money left. We sold our home and had a $3,000 profit and we lived off of that for the first couple of years. And so we just kind of flung ourselves over there, not knowing where we're going to land. So here we hear your story of a journey, learning to be in relationship and not be such a busy church guy, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, following his nudge, being a risk taker, going out there to China. Looking back in these early stages, what is needed to set up a business like that? I would like to go to the issue of risk. Uh, be aware of your tolerance of risk. If you're someone who really does enjoy that, like for instance, I built and flew a small microlight airplane and I realized, oh, that's actually feeding my desire for risk. I mean, I I enjoyed it a lot and it was really <laughs> pretty dangerous. So if I was someone that enjoyed risk, I would find a partner who did not. And I would try to start businesses together because the person who likes the risk will probably not want to operate the business once there's no risk associated with it. But the person who doesn't want the risk is the perfect person to build the structure of the business. So if I were to do it again, I would look, I would ask the Lord, could you give me a partner that would allow us to build this thing together? So I'll accept the risk responsibility, but I need someone with me to build the structure that will make it really stable and risk averse. And so that we can remove the danger of not succeeding. That's a good one. I like to hear three. Okay. Is this the first one? What's the thing back? The other thing I would like to do, I, I would encourage people to think through is their own identity related to ownership of the company. So I found out that every idea I had about what this was going to involve was probably incorrect. And so I went through a multi-year process of being re-educated by the Lord. And for instance, I wanted to serve God with my business. 
in this country? Well, I would now say that's actually a very bad idea. And the reason... That's surprising. <laughs> I mean, that's what you want to do. That's sort of the way we think about it. But I would say that I have... Uh, well, let me put it this way. Every culture has kingdom advantages and disadvantages, meaning the culture of the kingdom and the culture of the U.S. sometimes will be the same. Sometimes they'll be different. The independence of the U.S. culture is not something that you find in the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of God. You have a king. <laughs> and so you really don't have the kind of independence that we like to have. We celebrate revolutions against kings and we celebrate the independence of kings. So Yes, but when I think of the entrepreneurial type, the Dutch ones right. I know, oh, they might famous. be some. Yeah. <laughs> so this combination of even... For you being an American and yeah. an entrepreneur, a risk taker, I can do it. Let's put it this way. It's not as much what we do as how we do it. So let's say that I want to start a new company. I can do that with the Lord or I can do it on my own. And where I find the problem is when I want to serve him with my company, I'm actually on my own. I'm kind of declaring, I'm going to build this company. I'm going to do, I'm going to be a great Christian. I'm going to serve you. You're going to be really happy with me. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. You can hear well. <laughs> yeah. And what happens is that that avoids a few verses that are kind of tucked in the scripture and pretty important. Things like, well, apart from me, you really can't do anything. And so I've learned to think of it as not living for him, but living with him. And those are truly two different worlds. And so from an identity point of view, I realized I would not, I would rather not start a company to serve him through. I would rather actually us start a company together. This, is, then, uh, this is interesting things. We will, we do a series of podcasts together. I think we go more into this. We heard teaming up with someone, you know, a bit more stable, organized <laughs> next to the entrepreneur. Yes. You know, teamwork, you know, what is your identity and how the independence um, situation that right. it might be good to abide and to, you know, be close to God. The third one. The third one would be Uh, tying into the resources that heaven offers. So if I'm living on my own or serving God with my business, I'm the chief resource for the business. I'm the chief problem solver. Now we have ways to say, oh, we'll pray about it and we'll kind of ask God to help us out. But we're really asking God to make us smart. What I see now is it's a, a very different opportunity. And that is that All of the things that I needed, all of the technical solutions, financial solutions, marketing solutions, they actually came as almost gifts from heaven. They already existed, I think, in heaven. And I learned how to uh, connect with them. Like, for instance, uh, one of the first that really showed me this was we needed a design for an oven that was like mm, 18 meters long and maybe three meters tall to dry a product in the processing that we were doing. And so I prayed about it kind of in the traditional way, but then I began to wake up in the morning with pictures of designs and ideas. And I could even see drawings, really. I could see how this thing went together. And when we finally built it, 
we had the customer come and inspect and he inspected that particular piece of equipment maybe for 30 minutes. We had, I would say now we had received designs for probably 50 different pieces of equipment. This was one of them. And when he came up to me, he said, where did you get your doctorate in engineering? And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Um, I have a degree in philosophy. And he said, oh, well, I, I thought maybe you were more educated than my engineers because I gave them a similar task, but they didn't come up with anything. I think the word was this elegant that he said. And then he said, how much did yours cost you? And I said, I'll find out how much did yours cost you? And he said, I think it was $126,000. And so mine cost us five or $6,000. Oh, well. <laughs> pretty different. Yeah. yeah. And well, hey, that's the first time I really realized that I was taking the glory of my friend. And so I explained to him, oh, actually, I need to be more honest with you. I have a friend who is really, really smart. And I asked him to help with this design. And I would have to say that all of the good ideas didn't come from me. They came from my friend and we just incorporated it. In. And so if you've seen, you know, the evidence of someone with a degree in engineering, it's him, it's not me. Then I realized, oh, actually all this time I've been receiving designs not asking God to make me smart and becoming smart, you know, being the designer. So I'm no, I don't think of myself as a designer so much as a receiver of designs. And then I looked at the description. I think that actually happens a lot there. This kind of taste for, well, want to dig into this. Well, that's one of the reasons we are on this journey together yes. because it's, it's, actually a little bit selfish because I would like to learn a bit more in, in what I do, how to uh, tap into these resources and what it means and what are some of the mindsets behind it. Well, I ask you for three. I can, I want to give you a bonus. If you have a fourth one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The fourth one would be understanding who the Lord is. I would say now I have a relatively healthy relationship with him and I feel like I understand him. So we're talking here about business. Yeah. He's a great business guy. (laughs) (laughs) So this is not for pastors or for missionary workers, but you can say, hey, when you're a business person out there, learn to know. Who God is? Yeah, we see things through kind of a spiritual pyramid of significance. And we, we tend to see missionaries and pastors at the top, elders, leaders, Sunday school teachers, and kind of at the bottom, culturally, we see the business guys. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> I no longer see the world through that lens. I think he sees... He sees everybody with a kind of common love and compassion and interest. But he's also something like a CEO. Have you ever thought of Jesus being like a CEO? Mm, It's an interesting thought. (laughs) (laughs) What I discovered when I had a business is, oh, this is actually very much like the kingdom. That there are maybe daily goals that he wants to accomplish. And I remember that scripture says, I was rescued from a kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son. So the CEO of the kingdom. Ah, yes. So he's actually running a kingdom. 
Jesus is the king over a kingdom. And it means that it's in a kind of struggle. It is still rescuing people from darkness and transferring them to light and trying to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So when I began to see him with his objectives and his assignments and his promotions, I began to realize, oh, it does really matter how I live. And so by inviting him into the core of the business as the owner, and I begin to steward the business that he entrusted into my care, then we have him both as the main resource, main problem solver, but he also is sort of the captain of the ship. He gets to set the course that we go on. In this episode of Kingdom Keys for Business with Bill, we talked about Bill's journey as a BAM practitioner and some of the things he learned. If these podcasts about Kingdom Keys for Business spark your interest, please go to bamoves.com. There you find a hybrid online learning platform, which we are developing. 